What's going on, Valley family? Hey, from all of our campuses, can we just make some noise for Jesus real quick? Can we just celebrate the name of Jesus real quick in this place today? Love it, love it, love it, love it. Welcome to Valley Christian Church. I'm excited to be here with you guys. My name is Stephen Francis, campus pastor for the Poughkeepsie campus. Shout out to my Poughkeepsie people. Love you guys. Uh, I am filling in for Dr. Greg as we are in the series right now called Relationship Goals. And I am super excited to be a part of today's message. Uh, and today's message, I believe, is going to be impactful for everybody in this room. Everybody in this room is going to be impacted here, Poughkeepsie, online. If you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our worship experience today. Feel free to type in where you're watching from, who you're watching with. We always love when you do that. But I believe today's message is going to be impactful for everybody, but especially impactful for all of the single people that are in the room. Now, I did this last week at Poughkeepsie, but I want to do it again if you are single here, Poughkeepsie, even online, can you just make some noise? Let me know who I'm talking to today, where you're at in this room. All right, great, great, love it, love it. Okay, if you are married in this room, can you make some noise for me? Let me know where you're at in this place today. All right, all right, that is a strong amount of people. You see, uh, in this particular area, our demographic, and especially here at this church, there's a lot of married people that are represented here. But there is a very large portion of the world, and especially our country, that is single. In fact, I got some statistics for you guys I want to share with you today. Today, 45.2% of adult Americans are single, which is the largest in U.S. history. To give you context, in the year 1960, 72% of Americans were married. Of 45.2% of these single people, 63% were never married, 23% are divorced, and 13% are widowed. And the reason why I believe 63% were never married is because many people know that roughly 50% of marriages end in divorce. For context, if you were to go to the airport today and someone on the intercom said that all flights only have a 50% chance of making it to their destination, would you get on that plane? Me neither. So there seems to be in our culture a lot of people that are single. And let me say this to all my single people that are watching right now. I know that the struggle is real because not only are you single, but you got relatives constantly asking you, are you still single? Why are you still single? What's wrong with you? You got to be the bridesmaid at a wedding for the 15th time this year. Your social media is filled with all these happy couples on these beautiful vacations and their adorable babies. And not only that, but many of you, despite all the things that you've been struggling with in your single life, now you come to church where it's like, yes, Jesus, I need him in my life. He can speak to my soul. I need his word. Just so you can sit here and hear one of our lead pastors say that today we're talking about marriage in the series Relationship Goals. The struggle is real for you guys. But to make that worse, by the way, since we were talking about statistics, the Chances of you getting asked out at the end of this service before you go home today is 2%. So even here at church, you got no shot of finding a spouse many times on a Sunday morning. But 
it appears that majority of our country, majority of people around the world are dealing with the singleness problem. Now, I know there's some married people in here, Poughkeepsie online, that are like, oh, well, this story or this sermon rather doesn't apply to me at all because I'm married. I don't have a singleness problem. I beg to differ. I believe many people in here that are married do have a singleness problem. For instance, some of you are still shopping and spending money like you're single. Some of you are never home and hang out with people all night like you're still single. Some of you are flirting with people that are not your spouse, like you're single. And there's even some people right now in some really difficult separations and divorces because the person that they thought was supposed to be there for better or for worse decides that they'd rather be single. See, when I'm talking about singleness today, I'm talking about something that can be defined in two stories that both involve a house that I want to share with you. The first story happened just last year while me and my wife were looking for a a home to buy. We've been renting our entire marriage, and last year we decided that this was the year that we were going to become home buyers. And I don't know anybody here that's ever done house hunting, especially in this area, you know that the struggle is real. It can be very brutal in New York to try to find a place to stay. We, we would find one house that we'd like and we put a bid on it and then someone would just show up with a higher bid that we couldn't match and the house was gone. We saw houses that my wife loved but I hated. We saw houses that I loved and my wife hated. So it was several months just till we could find a house that maybe we could settle into. But then one day on our little Zillow app, one particular house popped up, and Valley, this house was perfect. It had the right price range. It was bigger than we were expecting to get with our price range. It was in the location that we wanted to be in. And we called our realtors right away and said, how soon can we see this house? We want to see this house as soon as possible before someone else gets a chance to see it and makes a bid on it. So what felt like the next day, we showed up. Uh, with our realtors to the house. And real quick, I want to shout out the Hosh and Torres family, Chris and Eric Hosh and Alexa Torres. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for being a part of the Valley family. The house that we are in now is because of you guys. But we showed up to the house with the realtors to this big house. And literally, I'll never forget when we stepped out the car, my wife was so excited. She's screaming that she loved the house and I was loving the house. And we thought that this was the house for us. And before we even walked inside, we were already making plans. We were like, hey, this room should be an exercise room. This room over here, we should get this type of furniture so we can host guests like this. Hey, we should have a big housewarming party in the big backyard of this house. So so we're like, we're not looking at this house as like, oh, this is a potential house. We're looking at this house like this is our house. Until we walked inside the house. And we walked inside the house. It was unlike anything I've ever seen or experienced in a building before. The steps were all uneven. The doorways were crooked. The ceiling felt like it was caving in. There were times to get into certain rooms. We had to duck in order to get into certain areas. And it was just so weird. It felt like we were in some weird fun house at a carnival or something. And I looked at my realtor and I said, what's the problem with the house? And the realtor told me 
that the house had a bad foundation. The foundation wasn't secure, which was causing for the house to begin to sink in certain areas. So needless to say, we didn't get the house because it didn't matter how big the house was. It didn't matter how nice the features of the house were. It didn't matter that the house was in the location that we wanted to be in. If the foundation of the house was not secure, the house was not secure. And what I believe is that many people in this room today are not secure in their singleness. And if you're not secure in your singleness, then you're bringing those insecurities into any dating relationship and marriage that you will ever be a part of. I believe God knew this already, which is why we see this in Matthew 22, starting at verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, many of you who have grown up in church before, you've heard this verse your whole life. But what often we don't realize is that Jesus is speaking of three relationships. He's speaking of the relationship that you have with God. He's speaking of the relationship that you have with other people. But he's also saying that you need to have a good relationship with yourself. You can't love others well if you don't love yourself well first. Your relationship with yourself is important. So for every person in here today, whether you're single, whether you're married, I want to ask you this question. Are you secure in your singleness? Do you have a view of yourself that is healthy enough that when you go into a relationship, dating or marriage, it brings health and stability and not instability? See, when a house is not secure, it's considered unsecured. But when we are not secure, that's considered insecure. And insecurity can show itself in multiple ways. There are people that often view themselves based on what they look like or what they achieve, what they have. And the problem with that type of scale is that if you base that, depending on what season of life that you're in, and sometimes there's seasons of life that you cannot control, it may drastically affect the way that you see yourself. And oftentimes people that see themselves in a place of lack because of the things that they have or the way that they look or the things that they can do, they will date people hoping that it will fix something that's lacking in them. I'm going to date this person because if they're confident, perhaps I will be then confident. I'll date this person because if they have a great personality, maybe they can give me some great personality. And oftentimes those relationships end up failing because obviously we're looking to that person to become a savior and not to see them as just a regular person. And it's even more tragic because it makes us feel a loss like none other because a breakup with that person means that we lost ourselves all over again. But there's also people where maybe a lack of love for yourself is not the issue. Maybe you love yourself too much. Maybe all you care about is yourself. And because of that, your relationships usually involve you using people, taking advantage of people, 
taking people for granted. It makes me sick so oftentimes how there were jocks and other people uh, back in school that because of their attractiveness or because of their abilities or because of their wealth were able to date certain people, not because they actually had affection for them, but because they knew that they could use them because they could make a status of them. That's not how Christ has called us to love one another. And especially when it comes to people in that relationship mindset, you'll not only use people, but those people are usually dangerous because they could abuse people because they see people lower, which is something we need to be aware of. But when I look at scripture, I see that there is one particular person that had a perfect well security in her singleness, and that is someone named Ruth. Now, if you've never heard the story of Ruth before, let me first give you the backstory because Ruth's story begins with her mother-in-law named Naomi. Naomi uh, was married to a man, and these people were from Israel. The, uh, they were in Bethlehem, but Israel suffered a famine, so they decided to move to a place called Moab. Now, Moab was not part of Israel. In fact, Moab was considered an enemy of Israel. There were multiple times in scriptures where Israel was at war with Moab. But not only was it an enemy of Israel, they also didn't serve the God of Israel. And this was not a very safe place to live. This area of Moab was basically an entire country of low-income housing. A lot of the people in Moab were considered rough and tough because that's what they had to be in order to survive. Nevertheless, there was food there, so Naomi and her husband moved there, and them and their two sons uh, lived there for a while where they marry, uh, the sons married two women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. Fun fact, Oprah Winfrey, her name is actually Orpah based off this woman in the book of Ruth fun, useless information that you now have. Nevertheless, tragedy strikes Naomi because her husband and her two sons die, and she's left with her two daughters-in-law. Israel's doing a lot better. They're no longer in famine, so she decides that she's going to go back to Israel, and she tells her daughters that they need to stay behind here in verse 8. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you and to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi is telling her daughters, go back. Don't, don't uh, stay in Moab. Don't come with me to Israel. And Orpah says, you know what? Okay, I'll go ahead and I'll stay in Moab. Good luck to you. Best wishes. But Ruth has a different tone 
in verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Real quick, this is the most gangster verses I've ever heard in Scripture. You know, I got a bone to pick because so oftentimes I've seen Ruth depicted in like Christian television or Christian movies as this real sweet little house on the prairie type of girl. No girl says this unless she's about that life. When I read this verse, I picture a girl from the South Bronx with some attitude. She was probably clapping her hands the whole time. She's like, mm-mm, honey, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Oh, she was Cardi B about it, all right? Let me stop. But the point that I'm trying to make is this, and this is actually one of the points here in your notes if you're following along. Secure chooses what's right over regular. See, it made cultural sense that Ruth not go to Israel. She was from Moab. Naomi was from Israel. There has been beef between the two countries. There's no reason for her to go there. Not to mention her husband's dead. Orpah has already decided to go back as well. So she had all the reason to justify why she should stay in Moab. But at the same time, she knows that, listen, I started serving this God of Israel. I feel called to help you because you are someone that's in pain. You're someone that's hurting. You're alone. So I'm not going to allow you to be alone. I'm going to go with you in this. And normally when I preach about singleness, I always bring up this analogy on how people need to be eagles and not ducks. And if you have ever heard me say that before, you know, I've had people actually come up to me after I've talked about that. And it was like, hey, Pastor Stephen, uh, why do you hate ducks so much? There's nothing wrong with ducks. Ducks are fine. I was like, listen, first off, why do you talk like that? But second, I'm not saying ducks are bad. All I'm saying is ducks are basic. Ducks are a very common bird they come in packs and in fact in my life experience maybe you experience something different the only people that I know that are excited about ducks when they show up are children because they haven't lived long enough to realize that ducks are everywhere that's not the case with eagles me and my wife the other day, we're doing a river cruise on the Hudson River, and while we're on the boat, the captain on the intercom says, hey, uh, there are a bunch of eagles on the other side of the boat by the shore. And literally, the whole boat tipped over to the side because everyone was trying to get a pictures of those eagles. They're way more rare. They're way more majestic. They're, they have more of a majesty about them when you see them. You tell people. You show pictures to people when you manage to see an eagle. No one cares about ducks because ducks are common. And as much as that analogy goes for ducks and eagles, I believe that God has called us to be eagles. You could be an eagle at your job. You could be an eagle in your community. You can be an eagle in your marriage. You can be an eagle in your singleness. 
And all I'm trying to say by that is that eagles step out of the status quo, eagles step out of what is regular, and they do something with a different level of intentionality, with a different level of purpose, of goal setting, and they are the ones that often make a difference. And oftentimes, and what I love about what Ruth mentioned, is she told Naomi, don't urge me to leave. And I think that word urging is so important because we live according to our urges now more than ever. So many people, when they're urged to take a picture on social media in some type of clothing or in some type of position is so they can gather more attention for themselves, they will often do it. So many people, when they are uh, feel urges to watch sexual things on the internet or to do sexual things with people outside of marriage, they will do it. So many people will do things that they haven't even sat down to think is actually right or wrong, but they'll do it because they want to fit in with everybody else. And if you fit any of those categories, I'm not here to put you on blast. I'm not here to judge you whatsoever, especially because you're here in the house of the Lord. All I'm saying is that's what everyone else is doing. You do not stand out when you do those things. But if we follow what God has called us, we make a different type of position. We make a different type of an impression that will change the hearts of people. Ruth was effective not because she stayed back and did the regular thing. She was secure enough in herself to be like, listen, I don't care if I'm not from Israel. I don't care if I'm no longer married to you. I see a calling to love you and to be with you. And that is the calling that I will pursue. And let me say this as well before I move on, because I think oftentimes there's some people in here that believe that to be single is to be lonely, that to be single is to be at a deficit, that to be single is to be in a holding position for marriage. And then when you get married, then your life starts. Can I just set the record straight? That the calling that God has on your life is not waiting for someone to show up. It is waiting on you to say, here I am, send me. And that goes for all my married people in here too. If you're waiting for your spouse to get it together, if you're waiting for your children to cooperate, if you're waiting for a job to show up or a moment to happen, you might be waiting in vain because the calling that God has on your life today is not waiting for somebody. It's waiting on you to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to take the steps today. And I may not have everything that I need. I may not have all the knowledge that I, that I need, but at the same time, I have the creator of the universe on my side and he will give me exactly what I need when the time is right but I got to move on with the story Ruth goes with Naomi and then they go to Bethlehem and we see this happen in verse 19 so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. See, the second thing I want you guys to know when it comes to security is that secure chooses being better 
over being bitter. The thing that disturbs me the most about Naomi's response in verses 19 to 21 is that she blames God for her own bad decision. God did not tell Naomi to leave Israel. God did not tell Naomi to go into enemy territory of all places when she left Israel. And we do not know what the cause of her husband and her son's death is. But nevertheless, who's to say that God's to blame for it? Either way, she becomes bitter at God because she believes that God has taken something from her. And because of that, she no longer wants to even be known as someone of health. She wants to be known as someone that has a bitterness or has an angst against God. And you know what? Maybe that's some of you in here today. Maybe you're in here right now struggling with a sickness, struggling with a financial situation, a marital issue, and you were taught or you believed through teaching that if you prayed enough, if you tithed enough, if you showed up to church enough, that that would be the solution to those issues and nothing's changed. Man, there's some people in here right now watching where you've been single for so long, and, I, and this breaks my heart, where it's like, man, I've been trusting for God to bring someone into my life that I could be in a relationship with, and it's been years and years, and I'm getting older and older, and no one's shown up. And maybe that's starting to give you a little bit of bitterness against God. Maybe it's not that, but maybe you're bitter against the actual person. Somebody that hurt you, a spouse that you were divorced from, maybe a spouse that you're still currently married to. Maybe it's someone who was supposed to be a family member, someone who you considered a friend. Maybe you're bitter against yourself because of something you did, because of someone you hurt. And nevertheless, the biggest issue with when we have bitterness because of something that happened to us wrongfully, whether it was our fault, whether it was someone else's fault, whether we are misinterpreting it to be something, we can often end up stuck in that place of bitterness. Bitterness is a baggage. It's luggage that's difficult to move around, that's extremely inconvenient when you're around other people. And some of you actually could love other people. Some of you could allow yourself to be fully loved by someone. But the biggest obstacle in your way is this luggage that you're holding on to daily brought upon by bitterness that you've had. But I got great news for anyone in here that is dealing with bitterness today. Is that whatever baggage that you have, whether it's bitterness or anything else, Jesus wants to deliver you from that baggage. His word says, come to me. Give me those that have heavy burdens, that have yokes, and I will give you rest. And I want to encourage you with that truth today. And there's some things that you're struggling with that are super deep, 
that happened to you when you were young that you may need uh, counseling for, that you may need to talk with somebody and process through. But I have great news today that there is a Savior that can meet with you right now in this place that is able to take hold of whatever things that have you broken, whatever things that have been holding you down, and deliver you from those things. Because the worst thing we can do, especially when it comes to relationships, is to have somebody pay for someone else's sins in our lives. And that's what we do when we hold on to that bitterness. And what I love, despite how Naomi has such a difficult time with this and she's bitter about everything that's happening because she is single. And by the way, she is single, not by choice, just like many people in here. But Ruth says, you know what? I'm not going to allow this stuff to let me bitter. I'm not going to allow this stuff to keep me down. I'm going to find purpose. I'm going to find a way to make life better for myself. I can't stay stuck in the past because God has something better for my future the same way he does for all of you. So we see this in Ruth 2 starting at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Amalek, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So there's a truth here that I've wanted to share most of my life. I've grown up in church, but this is the first time I've ever got to preach about Ruth, and I want to share it with all of you. This is a life quote that I live by daily, uh, or especially when I was single. So real quick, I want to be clear. Boaz is spelled B-O-A-Z. Everyone here, Poughkeepsie online, say it with me, B-O-A-Z. So keep that in mind as I give you this life quote that I live by. To all the girls who are in a hurry to have a boyfriend or get married, a piece of biblical advice. Ruth patiently waited on her mate, Boaz. While you are waiting on your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke ass, po ass, lion ass, cheating ass, dumb ass, drunk ass, cheap ass, locked up ass, good for nothing ass, lazy ass, and especially his third cousin beating your ass. Wait on your Boaz and make sure he respects your ass. That's free for you, Valley Christian Church. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you live according to that, all right? Also, thank God for our children's ministry real quick, all right? I hope your kids are there. Great, great. I'll be waiting for your email complaints. The third thing that I want to make mention of now is that secure will see things turn out because they stepped out. Ruth was single. She was in a new land. And she wasn't going to stay bitter. She wasn't going to stay in sorrow. She was going to do something. She was going to make a difference, especially in the life of the person she cared for, Naomi. 
So she does this thing that was popular back then called gleaning, which was basically uh, a program that Israel established that when harvesters came through fields to collect grain, anything that they dropped was free game for someone that was poor and couldn't afford food. And she happens to do this in the area of Boaz, who later down the line becomes somebody that she has a beautiful relationship with. But what I love in that passage is that Ruth wasn't looking for a man. Ruth was just trying to do her best in the situation that she was in. And that phrase that says, as it turned out, pops up while she's doing those things. So this brings me now to the second story about a house that I want to share with you today when it comes to this subject. Most of my life, I've struggled with insecurities for a variety of different reasons that I can't get into today. But many times those insecurities would show themselves in the girls that I dated. I would constantly date girls that weren't good for me. I would never say that they were bad girls, but they were bad for me. And one relationship in particular when I was in college was the most toxic of those dating relationships. And I thought this girl was the one for me and I thought she was great, but my parents didn't like her. My friends didn't get while I, why I was with her. And everything in my life seemed to suffer the more I was in a relationship with this girl until a point where uh, I'm very embarrassed to say this, but uh, I was a Bible study at my uh, college. I was leading people on the dorms and Bible studies. And because I was with this girl at the wrong place in the wrong time, I ended up getting disqualified from leading in that capacity. But still, despite all of that, I still stayed with this girl. And uh, eventually, one day, during this dating relationship, I got a phone call from a woman who was uh, very influential in my life at the time. She was a spiritual leader in my life at the time. And I know that there's some people here uh, that may be new to church, uh, but we here at Valley Christian Church believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that power can manifest itself in different ways. And she called me and told me that she had a dream. And I was in this dream and that she had the same dream for multiple days and that God told her to tell me what this dream was. So I said, okay, uh, wh what is this dream? She said, in this dream, I was living in this house, and this house had a bad foundation. There were parts of the house that were beginning to sink. The house itself was never built solidly. It was kind of like a house that was slowly falling apart, breaking as the days went forward. And it was dangerous to try to live there. And she would go into the house, and she would say, this this isn't safe. You need to leave this house. This isn't a good place to be. You, you, you can't stay here. And I would say, no, there's nothing wrong with this house. This house is a great house. Listen, look, there's such a nice table here in this house. Wait, uh, look, there's such an awesome couch here in this house. Why would I leave this house when they have a great couch and this great table here? I, I have no reason to leave. Why should I leave? And then she said every time she woke up from the dream, she was scared. Because if I didn't leave the house in time, the house would fall on me and it destroy my destiny. 
and called it weird. But when I heard that dream, I knew exactly what that was supposed to mean. That this relationship that I was in had the potential to completely derail the destiny that God had for me. So immediately, I think a day or two later, I broke up with the girl. And it wasn't easy. Breakups never are. Rarely are. And in this time of just grief, and my insecurity is just swelling up in my life, I realized that, you know what, I need to take some time to figure me out. And I need to ask myself some tough questions. So I started doing something that I know today is dating myself. And by that, I mean I literally went out to eat by myself. I literally went to the movies by myself in the daytime, though. I'm not crazy. I would go for long walks in the park by myself. And oftentimes, I would either have my phone or a little notebook and some worship music, and I would ask myself some difficult questions. Who do I really want to be in my life? What really are my values in life? Why do my actions show the opposite of those things? Why do I treat people this way? Why do I go to this thing when I'm hurt? And not only did I do all of that, but I began to give all of the things that I was uncovering to God. And I said, God, this is who I am. Can you show me who I'm supposed to be? Can you show me how I'm supposed to live in life? And God did just that. And through that, I grew in a deeper love with Jesus that has shaped my life ever since. And after that, I started, know, I, I knew that I needed to not just do this uh, for myself, but I needed to be an influence in other people's lives and live according to the calling that he gave me. So I found a church near my college that I started serving at, and I would shuttle students back and forth, and I would serve as an usher. And then eventually, due to God's grace, I got reinstated as a Bible study teacher at my college to lead Bible studies at my dorm. And I was doing Bible studies at my dorm, and one of the guys that, I was, that was in my Bible study was a guy named Sam Schmitz, great guy. Love you, Sam. Uh, and Sam one day was like, hey, me and my girlfriend Megan are going to go eat with a bunch of uh, her friends. Uh, do you want to come? And I said, yeah, sure. And as it turned out, there was a girl at that dinner whose name was Jasmine Johnson would later become my wife and the thing that I love about Jasmine if I can brag about my wife real quick is that my wife was so different than any other girl I was ever interested in because not only did she have a grace about her but also she had an intention about her she wasn't waiting for some guy to show up to sweep her off her feet. She was making moves in life. She was a Bible study teacher. She was serving in different capacities. She was on a completely different level than I was. I'll never forget, my wife said, hey, listen, uh, I love my family, and I have great friends, and if they don't like you, I won't either. And I was like, oh, shoot. It's like, let me get a haircut real quick, uh, have some A-game. And, you know, now many of you guys know us. We're married, house, kid, the whole works. But the thing that gets to me so much 
is that if I didn't take that time to work on me and to become secure in my own singleness, if I didn't take the time to live according to the calling that God was putting on my life, not only am I not sure if I ever would have crossed paths with my wife, Jasmine, we definitely, if we crossed paths, would have never been compatible. She was way too much of an eagle to put up with my duck game. So I want to encourage all of you people in here today, especially all my single people. I cannot guarantee you a spouse today. That's not in the Bible. I cannot give you dating advice that will help you, you know, make your first date work and all that stuff. And we have great groups for that. We've actually, I, I lead a group for that and we'll be doing it again uh, very shortly. And you can find out more information about that at another date. But what's most important, especially in our lives, whether you're single, whether you're married, is are you secure in yourself? before you try to get in a relationship with someone else. You know, my time is pretty much up, but I want to just give you three encouraging things that I believe can help anyone in this place today. And if you're single in here today, I got great news. These things are a lot easier for you to do because you don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have as many obstacles as someone that's married. But if you're married in here, this is important for you too because you might be hurting your marriage because you haven't done this for yourself. But I believe for everyone in here, we need to grow in self-awareness. You need to know who you are, why you do the things you do. And a lot of that can come from you having time with God. A lot of that can come from you having honest conversation with uh, friends or with your spouse, whoever that uh, is near you, that's close to you, that you trust and being able to have conversations that can help you see why it is you think the way you think and do the things that you do, because that could be a big hindrance. You could be getting in your own way of what it is that God has for you in your life. Second is cultivate intimate relationships. Intimate is a word that we don't like to use often. It's used many times in sexual references, but intimate only means close. Intimate only means that you are somewhere that you have a relationship with someone somewhere that they know you at a deep level. And listen, you can go your whole life without getting married and be just fine. You can go your whole life without sex and be just fine. But woe to those that live their whole life without having close, real relationships with people. And that's why we at Valley have groups that's why we create opportunities for you to connect because we want you to have that. But last but not least, above all else, love yourself and others through Christ. Everything that I brought up to you about being secure in your singleness is, yes, found in the Bible, but this is stuff that relationship experts have been talking about for years. Nevertheless, 
You can try to do it on your own. You can try to be impactful. You don't have to be a Christian to find security in yourself. But I promise you, if you don't have Jesus on your side, you're lacking something. You're lacking something of eternal significance, of greater purpose. Something that the creator of the universe wants to give you is a gift that you definitely want in your life. And through that love, we'll be able to love ourselves and others. And this is why I put in your notes today your identity in Christ. And you can check that out on your own personal time to pray over and to look at the scriptures through. But as we close, I want to just give you this last verse. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Valley, would you pray with me? Jesus, there are people in this room that have been struggling with insecurity for so long. So much so that they don't know how to live without these things. They don't know if it's possible but we serve a God of the impossible. And for my single people today, I do pray that at some point you bring someone in their lives that they can have a long-lasting godly relationship with. But I also pray today that, do they, that they do not lower their standards to better their chances in order to have that, but that they will live according to the calling that you've given them and in so doing, see fruitfulness come from that. And for my married people in here that are already committed, I pray that they live out their calling as well. And that they deal with the singleness issues that they have in their own lives so that they might be able to bring a healthier foundation into the home that they are already a part of. In Jesus' name. And for anyone in here that you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want to give you the invitation today to love Jesus. Scripture says that if you confess your sins and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he rose from the dead, you will be saved today. So I want to encourage you with this prayer, and I'd love it if you can repeat these words after me if you want Jesus in your life. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. I want the relationship that you have to offer me. I receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen.